God's people said, Amen. While you're standing, take your Bible from the Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I don't know about you, but I love him today. I praise him so much. And I want to worship him even now. Colossians 3, 5, the Bible says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Thank you for your words. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Lord. Boy, I just feel like God's here this morning, folks. He's here through his word. He's here in our presence and our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being here today. And I want to tell you something. I told Pam this morning, I'm not going to go today. I went last week. But I'm glad I showed up. <laughs> Amen. God is so good. He really, really is. Aren't you glad for the new life we have in Christ? Yeah. How do you explain it? You know, how, in world, how in the world do you do it? And uh, I know you're saying, preacher, you've tried for six weeks. You still haven't done it yet. But our new life in Christ. And that means that we are supernaturally changed into a new creation. It means we've received a brand new spirit. And folks, we, we quite... We, 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 we quite, quite literally have began a brand new life the moment we were saved. And I want to tell you, my friend, I would not change, exchange this life, trade it for anything else in this world. I love living for the Lord. And what we need to realize is the, our spirit is the real us. The spirit is the real you. We are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And our spirit is the real core part of who we are. The spirit gives life to the body. It gives life to our soul. And the spirit is the part of us that is completely made new the day we were born again. And folks, I want you to realize again, that was that is a supernatural experience. And whenever we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when we believe that He came to earth, Ricky came down, He became one of us, He became human, He was crucified on the cross for our sin, He was raised from the dead, when we believe that, we can receive salvation. Amen. And the Bible says, if we just confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we will be saved. And let me remind you this morning, folks, salvation is not complicated. It's a matter of what we believe. Romans 10, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart, that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. 
Sadly, too many people make salvation more complicated than it is. I'm glad that God made it easy. We must first believe in our heart. Now, I know if you're like me, you think of the heart, you think of that thing that pumps the blood through your body. That's not what the Bible is speaking about. Not just that. It's our total being. It's our total being. We must believe in our heart. And that belief justifies us. The moment we believe, God declares us righteous. Thank you, Lord. The very moment. God says, the moment you believe, you are not guilty. Glory to God. Not guilty for my sins. So by a prayer to God, we confess with our mouth our belief in what God has done for us. So believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, are two vital components of salvation. But please understand, even though confessing and believing establishes a personal relationship with God, they are not just reciting certain words or even agreeing to certain facts. How many know Satan believes in God? Amen. He trembles before God. And I would say... Today, Satan believes in God probably more than most of us do. He's, he's horrified of God. So we're not just saying repeating words, although it's important. To believe and to confess, and hear me well, involves the whole person commitment. That's what believing and confession is. It's not just repeating words. It's not just saying, okay, I see the facts. I believe that Jesus did die and rose again. That's the fact. I agree with those facts. We take what we believe, we confess with our mouth, and it involves a commitment of everything we are. That, my friend, brings salvation. And when we receive this gift of salvation, a complete miracle takes place. The real us, our spirit dies, and is raised again as a completely new creation. And that is how we receive our new life in Jesus Christ. All of the sin that our old spirit uh, was created in and covered in, all that sin, thank God, it's now gone. Washed away in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our new spirit is now Declared righteous and holy. And folks, that is the miracle of the new birth in Jesus Christ. No wonder in John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. We've got to be born from above. So this new life in Christ that we're talking about, it's not something we can work up on our own. Without God, and hear me well, without God, the Christian life is entirely impossible. We must have God. And I want to say today, if you try it on your own, you will fail. 
you will fail, and you will fail every time. And my friend, that is where religion misses it big time. It takes more than religion, my friend. It takes a relationship. And if we're going to be successful in our walk with God, we must maintain a relationship with Him. Last week we were in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where Jesus addressed the pastors of these churches. And He said to the church of Ephesus, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. Oh, they were, they were sound in doctrine. They believed in the Word of God. They taught the Word of God. But Jesus said, you're missing something here. If that's all you have, you'll get bored. My friend, we need a relationship with God. We need a daily, fresh, intimate relationship with God. And I want you to realize, when you walk with God every morning, when you wake up and you know He's walking with you, you're going to say, you know what? Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We've got to have that relationship because that's where salvation comes. Personal relationship with Christ. And here's what's interesting about that. The power to live our new life, it comes supernaturally as we believe what the Word of God says about us. What a work God does. <laughs> and we discover... You know, our job, our duty is to believe what is right. And that's the Word of God. Our job is to believe every word of, of the Bible. And, and as we do that, we're going to discover who we are. Especially who we are now in Christ. And when we discover who we are in Christ, everything will begin to get better. When we live according to that precept. And because we're born again, because we have a new life in Christ... We are privileged to experience this life to its fullness. To have life and to have it more abundantly, Jesus said in John 10. And my friend, that's something the unsaved can never know. Ever know. And those who are free spiritually, thanks to our faith in Christ, we should not live in those sins we lived in before. Our lives ought to be different now that we are born again. The Bible says as much. And several times, and we're focusing in Colossians 3 this morning, verse 5. But Paul specifically refers to certain sins. Sexual immorality, jealousy, slander, lying, revenge. And I want you to realize, according to the Scripture, we are not just to avoid them, we're to mortify them. We are to put them to death in our lives. So, because we are in Christ, we are united in Christ, all believers should also act as people who are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we spent several weeks in Colossians 3, verse 5, uh, when Paul says to mortify the members which are on the earth. We looked at fornication in week number one, and fornication is any sexual misconduct, in any impure uh, sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. So that's fornication. Uncleanness, if we look at that also, it's all kinds of sin. It includes any activity, any thought, any word, any action that does not conform to God's will for our life. That is uncleanness. Last week, we looked at inordinate uh, affection. 
And that's an excessive passion that we might have for anything or people that we give priority, priority to before God. And how many know anything or anyone we put before God becomes an idol? And that's what inordinate affection is all about. The fourth one in Colossians 3, 5, the Bible says we're to mortify evil concupiscence. When's the last time you used the word concupiscence? Now, by the way, concupiscence is really an evil desire. Wanting something that is sinister and vile to satisfy our own desires. And in the scripture, <coughs> that word concupiscence is used mainly as a strong desire, especially pertaining to sexuality. Now, by the way, most newer translations don't usually use the word concupiscence. It's only found three times in the King James Bible. But before you get angry at the new translations for using uh, things like uh, lust or desire, evil desires, or passion of lust, even though we only have the English word concupiscence three times in the New Testament or in the whole Bible, the same Greek word is translated 35 other times using a different word, like passion, evil passion, or lust. So please understand, that's what concupiscence is. It has to deal with a wrong type of desire. Now, first of all, let me remind you, I think we touched on it last week, desire in itself is not sin. In fact, we strongly, we strongly desire many things that God gives us to enjoy. One is food, water, friendship. What about sleep? Wake up, Rick. All those things God has given us to enjoy. But also understand, God has given us a natural desire for sexual intimacy and sexual passion within the marriage in the marriage, and that's not concupiscence. But every other expression of sexual passion outside the marriage is sinful. In Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul mentions the work of the flesh. Look what it says. Now the works of the flesh are, are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves and mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom 
of God. So when the Bible speaks about concupiscence, it always refers to a passionate, a passionate desire <clears throat> for something God has forbidden. And we read in Galatians 5 and, and Corinthians 6, though there's a list there, not all inclusive, of course, of many things that God forbids. And if we have a passionate desire for them, it is wrong. It is concupiscence. Notice God's will for us as Christians. First Thessalonians 4. Verse 3 and 7. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. How many know that's another way of saying learn to control your passions? Verse 5. Not in the lusts of concupiscence, there's our word, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. I find it kind of interesting. There in verse 4, the Bible talks about, in contrast, our duty, if you will, to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable before God. We must be holy before God. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll leave verse 5, uh, but please note, we've been using verse 5 for our text, but verse 5 is only part of one long sentence. Look what it says. Mortify, therefore, your... Members which upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Notice verse 7. In the which you also walk sometime when you lived in them. So Paul says, and he also says in Corinthians, of which some of us live in time past. We all were there. So our text in Colossians 3 identifies concupiscence as a part of what belongs to the earthly nature. And also listed as one of the things that's going to bring the wrath of God on mankind. But my friend, we must avoid those kind of things. We must mortify those kind of things. Romans chapter 7. Look what the law, the law revealed. Verse 7 and 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. There's a word. For without the law, sin 
was dead. I must confess I love Romans 7. I love the entire book of Romans. What a deep book it is. But here in verses 7 and 8, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul takes concupiscence and he links it to covetousness. And that's simply the desire for something that is not ours and we don't have a right to it. And I want you to realize that concupiscence is a struggle within every one of us. Notice the first part of verse 8 again in Romans 7. Paul said, but sin taking occasion. The English word occasion there in our English Bible is a translation of a Greek word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce it. But it was a Greek word that was used as a military term. And the Greek word denoted establishing a bridgehead as preparation for an attack. So Paul says, sin takes the law and makes it a bridgehead in order to attack us. Now make sure we understand here, folks, the sin is not, I'm sorry, law, the law is not sinful. All the law does is expose our sins. And so when God gave the commandment, do not covet, the commandment itself does not cause people to covet. But Paul said in verse 8, that commandment aroused within us all manner of concupiscence. It brings about evil desires. And Paul said, as soon as I discovered that commandment, as soon as I realized what that commandment said... He said, all manner of conspicuous started to assault me. Now, I must confess, I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand except for sin days of why we are, why we are. But how many know if you're walking down the street and the sign says, wet paint, don't touch, what are you going to do? Huh? Yeah. Quite a few years ago now, I was in a place of business. And a young father had a little boy with him, probably five, six years old. And we were standing at the service desk, and there was a, a yellow line, kind of a L shape, you know, a little oblong L shape there. And the dad and the little boy were standing in that, waiting to be waited on. And the dad was going to step away. He said, son, he said, I'm going to go over here. Don't step across that line. Since that dad turned his back, guess what the little boy did? He jumped. He stepped across the line. So Paul says, when I realize what the Bible says, when I realize what the law says, in other words, 
Till all of a sudden, all of my sinful passions became very clear to me. So when Paul read, do not covet, all of a sudden the law had introduced Paul to some of the darkest desires. It aroused it in his life. But even though that was going on, Paul could still confirm and maintain his belief that God's law was sinless. Paul realized if there's something wrong, it's not with the law. Guess who it's wrong with? It's wrong with me. And what the law does is like a bright light. It revealed what the world never saw but was always there. It revealed a world of filth. It revealed a world full of evil. It was already there. The law just revealed it. The world we live in Oh, my goodness. The current epidemic of pornography is just a symptom of concupiscence. The current obsession with sexual desire, I mean, sexual perversion, let me put it that way. The current dismantling of sexual boundaries. The redefining of marriage. Gender, all of those are just more evidence that our culture is becoming more and more conquistation. And my friend, God is not pleased with it. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we're not going to take them all today. The Bible warns that continued conquistations will lead to a reprobate mind. Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not take, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. May I say today, when God gives up on mankind, we're in trouble. When God gives up on us, we are in trouble. And three times in these verses... God warns, when you reject my standard of holiness, I will give you up to your lust. If that's what you want, that's what you will have. Romans 1.24 Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 26, Romans 1. For this cause, God gave them up unto violent affections. Even their women did change the natural use, that which is against nature. And the third time we read already, Romans 1, 28. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
I want to say today, folks, what we see going on in our culture, the way that our culture is deviated from God's Word, that it's not a lifestyle, it's there because God give up on them. They wanted that, and God said, here you are. An ongoing concupiscence results in a deadening of the conscience. In fact, it deadens the conscience to the extreme that people can sin very boldly without any guilt, without any conviction. And may I say, in our world today, in our culture in America, they call it, they're proud of what they do. But my friend, I want to tell you today, that is a dangerous place to be. It is a dangerous place to be. But I do want to remind us this morning, it's not anything new. It's an age-old problem. Concupiscence defined humanity in the days of Noah. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Those last three words, only evil continually. My friend, that is evil concupiscence. Lustful passions always give way to deviant actions. So what do we do? Number one, surrender to the cross. Amen. We have to come to a place in our lives where we recognize how evil concupiscence is and surrender it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 6 and 7. Knowing this, their old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin. The miracle of salvation, folks. Number one, surrender to the cross. Number two, we have to abandon it, recognize it, how evil it is. How evil concupiscence is, and get rid of it, abandon it. First Corinthians six eleven. And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. My friend, there is no sin God can't forgive you of. Jesus died from all. When we received Jesus Christ, we were washed. It was a cleansing process that washed away our sins. All through the blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Surrender it to the cross. Abandon it. Recognize for the evil it is. Because if you don't, it will eventually kill you. James 1, 14 and 15. But every man that is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. Now remember, we were created with desires, passion. God did that. But those desires, we can either feed them or, or starve them. If the di- desire is evil, you cannot give in to it. It is up to us to overcome it with God's help. 
And my friend, if we encourage our desires, they will soon become passions. Wrong kind of passions. But the Bible says the blame for sin is my own. I have no one else to blame. And the kind of desire that James spoke about in chapter 1 of James is a desire out of control. It is selfish and it is seductive. Look at verse 12, James 1. For those who persevered. Blessed is a man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Those who allow that evil desire to run its course, sin is a full-grown habit, a fixed habit, it leads to death. Spiritual separation from God. The root of most sins, and hear me well, is the heart of concupiscence, evil desires. And if we do not surrender that to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, one day we will face the judgment of God. And my friend, judgment is coming. Romans 14.10 We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So what's the remedy here and now? Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. My friend, I don't care who you are or what you've been taught through the years. We still have a simple nature. Don't deny it. And simple human nature cannot help from time to time but to have evil desires. And that's why Paul is so adamant here. Paul says, mortify. Mortify those evil desires that can easily control us and which were a part of your lives, our lives, before we came to Christ. We must mortify them. And my friend, the only way, the only way to overcome the desires the evil desires of the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Father, we, we praise you today and we thank you that you provided a Savior. You became human. And you dwelt among us. You allowed sinful men to take you and hang you on a cross. And you laid down your life that we might have life. And Father, I pray for everyone that's here today, those who are listening online. 
I know the battle we all face, the struggle within. Help us, God, to walk in the Spirit. And you said if we did that, we would not fulfill the desires. I pray, Lord, for those who are lost. They need a Savior. But, Lord, I also pray for those who think they're saved and they are not. I pray you'll speak to their hearts as well and draw them to you. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.